I am not Trent, who is in your schedule to do both sermons today and the one next week. I was originally, I think, scheduled for next week, and I'll be out of town next week, so Trent's going to take next Sunday's, which, by the way, is in your bulletin correctly, and I should have taken each bulletin and changed his name to mine in the second part and initialed it so you'd actually know it was from me. Uh, I want to talk to you for a little while this morning about what I consider mistakes in the way of salvation. Uh, let me start with this passage in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 12. There's a way which seems right to man, but the end there are for the ways of death. And you understand that the Lord is accurate when he says things like that. Proverbs is just filled with statements of wisdom that help us get through this life. We think we're doing the right thing, and it ends up being the wrong thing, and it can cause us trouble. So we need to pay attention to the Lord and what he wants us to do and all that he says to us in his book because it's all true. The way of salvation, uh, Martin Luther said this 500 years ago, I guess, that a lot of people embrace error the way, much the way a drunk man gets on a horse. And if you've ever seen the old movies where somebody gets on and he's not quite sure what to do, he'll get on and fall off and get back on the wrong side and fall off the other side. And we're kind of that way with the points of salvation. We're not really sure what the Lord said. We're not really sure what he means by that. And we just do everything we can. And a lot of it is just muddled up. Uh, we make so many errors, but there are three that I think are fundamental. And I want to talk with you just briefly about these. First of all, we're not saved by the church. And I think most of us understand that. And I'm going to come back in a moment and elaborate on most of these. We're not saved by the church. We're not saved by what we believe. A creed is just a statement of beliefs. Most of them I have a problem with because they're way too short. Uh, you, you understand this book is our creed. It's this that we believe in. Men have come along with the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed and a bunch of other creeds that are shortcuts to what we believe, but you're not really saved by what you believe, and we're not saved by the way we behave, by our conduct. Though it's important that we be the part of the right body, it's important that we believe the right thing and that we live the right way, but this is not the point of our salvation. Salvation is more than just belonging to a select group of people. Trent talked a few minutes ago about the Pharisees and all that they believed, and probably in the first century, I don't think I would be a Pharisee, but I would lean toward them. I want to be right. And most of us want to be right in what we believe, in the way we behave, and things like that. But the church doesn't bestow salvation on us. You need to be a part of the right group of people, but salvation doesn't flow from the group that you belong to. Acts 2 verse 47 says, And the Lord was adding to the church day by day such as were being saved. The church is a body made up of the saved, but the church doesn't dispense salvation. You're not a Christian because of something this body of people gave you. The body he's talking about there is the church of our Lord that just branches out all over the world. He's not saying that when we're baptized, the Lord made us a part of the Baldwin Church of Christ, that he made us a part of South Coleman or 4th Street. 
He made us a part of His body of believers. And it's important for us to know and understand that. Judas, in the Bible, belonged to the right group of people. If you can imagine, the Lord trained him. Judas heard the Sermon on the Mount. Judas was there when Jesus raised Lazarus. He saw all of these things, and he had the same amount of faith, I believe, that the other apostles did, but that didn't save him. He fell because he failed. It was his own doing. The body of people could not save him. Salvation is more than just believing a statement of our creed. In the book of James, I, I want to read these verses with you because the first part of that, to me, is just so important for us to know and understand. In James chapter 2, verse 19, He's talking about faith and what it does for us and things like that. He says, you believe that God is one? You do well. Do you get that? You believe that God is one? You have the right faith about God. You do well in this. That's a compliment, and I think he means that. But it's not a complete thought. The devils also believe and tremble or shudder. Do you understand what he's saying there about demons? When you read the book of Mark in the New Testament, I, I understood that John was the gospel of belief. Mark is the gospel that challenges their belief. Constantly in the book of Mark, Jesus is saying, I've not found faith like this in Israel. You don't believe the right thing. The demons believed more than anybody that Jesus was the Son of God, but he commanded them not to confess that because it didn't matter in their life. It didn't have a, a, a result of faithfulness in them. The demons believe to the point of trembling. Can you imagine a demon in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus? They were helpless. They were powerless. They believed that He was the Son of God to the point of trembling. Intellectual insight. My understanding of the Bible, my understanding of the world, my understanding of most things, even accompanied by an emotional response like trembling, doesn't save me. The demons are still lost, though they believe the right thing. I think we need to come to an understanding about what it means to believe. It is trusting to the point that we can't disobey. We'll struggle with this. In the, Mike calls it the young disciples class, we've been studying the book of John. In the 14th chapter, three times, Jesus will say something like, if you love me, keep my commandments. I don't see that as being a command to these people. If you love me, I want you to do this. It seems to me that what he's saying is, if you love me the way you ought to, you wouldn't even think about disobeying. Our faith in Jesus needs to be so strong that nothing will talk us out of it, that nobody will have a reason to doubt my faith in God 
my love for God by the way I live my life. If you love me, do what I say. We wouldn't think of it any other way. Salvation, if you will, is more than behaving appropriately. Remember the rich young ruler? If I wanted to read to you from the Bible about it, I would choose the Gospel of Mark because Mark to me explains it more than Matthew and Luke do. You understand the rich young ruler. A man comes running to Jesus, undignified. Rich rulers don't run. They walk. But he comes to Jesus in this fashion. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you understand the Bible, Jesus says to him. What do the scriptures say to you? Well, don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't covet. All of these things have I done from my youth up. I've always obeyed your will, Lord. Isn't that enough to save me? And Jesus looks at him. Now, Mark's gospel says Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think he loves all of us. But I think he saw something special in this young man. He wanted something. I think he desperately wanted that. I feel empty. Something's missing, Lord. What do I have to do to get this eternal life you're talking to us about? And Jesus said, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me and you'll have life eternal. I don't know how many of us would be any better shape than the rich young ruler was. I like where I live. I like what I drive. Wish it got a little better gas mileage. I went to the store yesterday and bought gasoline for the lawnmower. $42. Not a penny of that went into my car for a lawnmower. I thought seriously about buying a couple of sheep and staking them out in the yard, but I didn't. We want what's ours. We worked hard for it. We want to keep it. We want to enjoy it. And for Jesus to look at me and say, you need to sell what you have, give it to feed the poor, and come follow me and I'll give you life eternal. Now, I'd love to follow Jesus. Isn't he asking too much? No. The Lord never asked too much of us. The rich young ruler was well behaved. One of the most devout people in the Gospels. But one thing you lack. And we need to read again passages like Titus 3 verse 5. Not in works done in righteousness which we have done. He saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Or you can read it from Ephesians 2 verse 8 through 10. By grace are you saved through faith. Verse 10 says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God wants the work. In fact, in the book of Titus, we're, we're cautioned to be filled with good works, good deeds. It's by your conduct that people know what you believe, but that's not what saves you. It's not what saves us. God wants us to believe and belong and behave. 
But the first thing is we have to come to know Jesus. I want to turn with you to the book of 1 John. There are a couple of verses here I want us to notice. In 1 John chapter 2, and they sound almost like things we don't want to hear. We'll be asked by our denominational friends, do you know Jesus? They're not saying, are you saved? They're asking, do you know him? And that's a good statement. 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to read the first six verses. My little children, I'm writing these, th these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not any, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. Do you know Jesus? He's saying, look at the way you live. It's not seeing Jesus that makes us saved, but seeing how we live identifies whether we're saved or not. There was a time back in America in the early 1700s when people used to write journals. They'd keep a list, almost like a diary that you'd write in every day. And at the end of the year, they'd read back through that to see if it looked like they were believers. You know the difficulty in something like that? is that if I would wait till the end of the year and go back and read that, I would know at the beginning of the year that I was going to go back and read that, and I'd only write down the good things that I did. Nobody would ever know the evil things that I did. Now, those people were more honest, but I still don't know that that's going to accomplish the purpose that they wanted in life. Do you know Jesus? Do you have an intimate relationship with him is what he's asking. Not did you do this and this and this. Do you know Jesus? And that's important for us to understand, I think, before we can become Christians. We've got to fall in love with the Savior. I have to know what he wants from me and be so entranced by that man, by the way he lived, by what he taught, by what he did. In the book of Acts, the second chapter, Peter's talked to them about the crucifixion of Jesus. He looks at the Jews out there and says, you put him to death. You put him to death. And I think many of them had been at the crowd when Jesus was crucified. And they have to look in themselves and see how they responded to that crowd. I put him to death. Or look at ourselves and see that the deeds of this flesh made it necessary for him to die. I have to see his kindness. I need to see his mercy. I need to see all of these things coming out in the Savior so that I can say, I love that man. I love that man. 
we need to get the order right. Knowing and loving Jesus is the incentive to correct all areas of our life. The gospel begins with the life and death of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. It follows with our obedience. This is important to me. Not to church ordinances, but to the will of God. I asked the class a couple of weeks ago, what's the difference in a Pharisee and a Christian? And to me, the answer is, is kind of obvious. If you know Pharisees, we love the law. We love the law. Their version of the law. And you understand the harsh words that Jesus spoke to them when he proclaimed that you, you violate the will of God to honor your own, way, your own way. When God said, honor your father and mother, and you say, I don't need to honor father and mother. I can give money to the church, to the temple, the doctrine of Corbin. You violate the will of God to honor yourselves. But they love that law or their version of that law. And they were going to sacrifice everything to serve that law. Now, the difference to me between that attitude and the attitude of a Christian is I want to follow the law of God. Because it's the expressed will of my Father who's in heaven. I want to serve God because He's God. I want to keep His law because He said so and I trust Him in this life. In every way. Faith, repentance, confession, baptism, the new life. All of these things are the will of God for us. But I like this passage in 1 John 5 verse 12. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. And this to me goes back to what he said is that do you know Jesus? Do, do you know him? Do I have him in my life? If he's a part of me, then I'm going to serve him. I want to follow him. In this life, we're taught young not to trust don't trust a stranger. Don't talk to strangers. Be careful around people you don't know. Maybe we need to teach them the truth. Be careful around the people you do know. Be careful around. Somebody's going to take advantage of you sooner or later. Don't trust people. And I think that'd be good advice. Most of the time, I mean, most of us somewhere in our life have betrayed the trust that somebody else placed in us. But this is Jesus we're talking about. The one person who ever existed that was trustworthy. And I need to learn to trust him. If I have him in my life, I have life. And I think about all of those things that Jesus said and when he was with the apostles on the earth in John the 10th chapter, verse 10. I'm come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I'm not here for selfish reasons. I don't want to take what's yours. I want to give you life. He said the same thing in the 15th chapter. I want you to have life because you're attached to the vine. 
And we need that kind of life. And we need that kind of trust in him. And I want you to think about that this morning. Do you know Jesus? Do you have him in your life? If you do, then you're well fixed. If you don't have him in your life, then you're ill prepared for life and for eternity. And we want to offer to you at this time the invitation of our Savior. If you're here and not a member of His church, the one that He adds you to when you're saved because you believe that He is the Son of God, you're willing to modify your life. You'll repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Him. Be baptized for the remission of those sins and then live the free life that we have in Jesus. If you need to do anything to respond to that invitation of our Savior, we'll ask you to come this morning while we stand and sing. Amen.